Hey everybody, good morning and happy Thursday. My name is Jumpin' Jay and this is 80s Wrestling, the podcast. And as we stand today, we are just 16 days away from the return of 80s Wrestling Con. I'm talking 80s Wrestling Con Live, taking place on May the 7th in Morristown, New Jersey at the Menin Sports Arena. And if you're not in the know, you need to get in the know. Because Tommy Fierro, the, the muscle, the brains behind 80s Wrestling Con, has over 30 superstars of professional wrestling showing up on May 7th at the Men in Sports Arena. This is your chance to meet and greet some absolute legends of the squared circle. I'm talking guys like Bob Backlund, Cowboy Bob Orton, Greg, the Hammer Valentine, Coco Beware, and of course, Jesse, the Body Ventura. Again, we're just 16 days away from 80s Wrestling Con Live. Tickets are available at 80swrestlingcon.com. If you can be there, I recommend that you are there. I will be there. Tommy Fierro will be there. But Tommy Fierro is not here with me today. He's enjoying some much-deserved R&R with his family down at the happiest place on earth, Disney World in Orlando, Florida. But today I have a special guest host, a man who you've heard on this very show as a caller. He is a voiceover artist. He does MC work. He does ring announcing. And he is one of the voices of ISPW, Mr. Matt. Compatello, Matt, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you so much for filling in for Tommy Fierro. Hey, good morning, Jumpin' Jay. It's a privilege to fill in for Tommy Fierro on this beautiful Thursday morning here from Long Island, New York. Man, that voice of yours, man. It's no wonder you got into voice work with that silky, smooth <laughs> voice box of yours. Before we jump into today's episode, and guys, it's a good one. This the topic today it's called the twists and the turns of professional wrestling and it's one of the reasons we fell in love with the sport it's the twists and the turns the things that we didn't see coming whether it was a superstar turning face or heel or whether it was a twist in a storyline the stuff we didn't expect and we're going to talk all about that but before we jump in matt i just first of all my first question is Obviously, God blessed you with a voice box like none other. How did you get into voice over work? Is it something where somebody recognized that ability in you, or is it something that you actively went out and pursued? Uh, my first foray is into anything involving the voice after being told uh, in my late teenage years that I had a voice was in college at Marist College, getting into college radio, and then finally getting into combat sports, and eventually pro wrestling was a uh, a gentleman who directed TV commercials for Wendy's spotted me at a hotel bar sitting next to him and said, you should do combat sports or wrestling announcing. So you were, that's kind of like the story that we hear where people get discovered in a shopping mall. You were just out talking. Somebody overheard you and approached you and said, Hey, I think you'd be really good at this. Correct. Well, you definitely have the voice for this type of work. And then before we jump into today's conversation, 
I'm always interested in hearing why other people fell in love with the world of professional wrestling. And so if you could just start the show off by telling me, what are some of your earliest memories? What hooked you into the squared circle? It was the pinnacle. It was the time period, the uh, late 80s, the early 90s. Uh, Ninja Turtles was big, and that was cartoon fighting. Uh, you know, it was big in New York City, as was Ghostbusters and pro wrestling, Hulkamania. Hulkamania was there. Hulkamania, Ultimate Warrior was around, too. And I had older cousins who had the LJN figures, and eventually the Hasbro figures came out. And then more and more just characters after characters after characters at that time were appearing on the scene. I remember my first action figures were the Horsemen, Anderson and Flair, Luger and Sting, and the Rockers, the two-pack of the Rockers. Just hearing you talk, man, takes me back to my childhood. We really experienced what I would call, like you said, the pinnacle of not just pro wrestling, but of childhood in general. When you mentioned things like the Ninja Turtles, the Ghostbusters, LJN figures, Hasbro figures, what a time to be growing up. And you're right, man. It was the pinnacle. And so let me, before we jump into the callers, if you had to pick your childhood favorite professional wrestling, who and why? Oh, I was a little, I was a little Hulkamaniac. Uh, I wasn't, Love it. I liked the warrior, but I couldn't root for him over Hogan, especially because warrior was always, for some reason his yelling and his intensity reminded me of getting yelled at as a very small child. So I had to go with Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've heard the episodes in the past, but Tommy and I have kind of a uh, a fun-loving feud because at WrestleMania six, he was cheering for the Warrior Hard. I, like yourself, was a die-hard Hulkamaniac. And so when he comes back to the show next week, I'm going to let him know that we scored one more for the good guy. Uh, Matt Capitello <laughs> is a Hulkamaniac. Well, today's episode was actually chosen by you, Matt. I called you up earlier this week. We said, what should the show be about? You said, let's talk about the twists and the turns of professional wrestling, which is an amazing topic. And so I'm so excited that you picked that. And the callers are already lighting up the lines. Are you ready to dive in and start this conversation, Matt? Yes, I am. All right. Our first caller, we're flying out to the West Coast to talk to a longtime friend of the show, Brian the Brain from Chico, California. Brian, welcome to the show. You are live with Jumpin' Jay and Matt the Voice. Matt the Voice, Jumpin' Jay, great to talk to you guys today. Hey, good morning, Brian. Great to hear from you, too. Wake up early in California. A little bit. Always do it for the show. Excellent. We love that. Say, uh, hey, yeah, the uh, uh, as far as the topic, couldn't think of a better one, and uh, I'll hit a few of them and and see what you guys think. But uh, top of the list, February '88, the uh, twin referees in front of 33 million people on TV with uh, uh, Hulk losing the title, all shocked to see him uh, get that third uh, uh, Hebner countdown on the pin pinfall where. Uh, his shoulder was obviously up, and then out comes the evil referee, uh, or out comes the good referee to dispute his twin brother, and we uh, see probably the best twist in wrestling history. Um, that one's top of the list for me. And then uh, my own favorite turn would be uh, summer 86 when uh, Hulk and uh, Paul Orndorff are going up against Bundy and Stud, and uh, – they win the match. Orndorff raises Hogan's arm, 
and then hits him with a massive clothesline followed by a pile driver for Orndorff's turn. A um, couple other uh, not uh, not quite to that level, but pretty damn close would be October 86 on Saturday night's main event and then October 87 on Saturday night's main event. Um, basically a, a formula they used in 86 and then in 87 was Hogan's fight in Orndorff. Uh, Adrian Adonis, dressed as a woman, jumps into the ring and uh, attacks Hogan, and then Piper comes out and basically cements his his baby face turn by rescuing Hogan with the, the crutch to, to hit Adrian, and then almost hits Hulk with the uh, the crutch. The fans are going wild because Roddy, somebody that you know they've always hated, has finally made the change to baby face. The next year, uh, same October 87, you know, uh, Randy Savage against the Honky Tonk Man. Heart Foundation comes up with the beat down on Randy. And uh, Elizabeth goes back, brings Hulk out to everybody's surprise. And now Randy and Hulk, you know, they get that teamwork where they're, they're a little skeptical at first and then shake hands and they join forces. And, and the year before, the folks at Madison Square Garden got to see uh, Roddy pull up superfan Vlad out of the audience when he's doing an in-ring Piper's Pit with Orndorff and, uh, and Heenan. And uh, Heenan and Orndorff are going to bring in Harley Race to tag and they want Roddy to find a tag partner. So super fan Vlad comes up to the ring. Roddy asks him who he wants to be his uh, his partner, and Vlad, of course, shouts Hulk Hogan. So they got to see Harley Race and Orndorff up against Hulk and Roddy the next month at Madison Square Garden. So those are like four or five off the top of my head that are some of my favorites. And then there's little ones like just stuff out of nowhere we didn't expect, but pop the crowd like Ultimate Warrior coming and facing Honky Tonk Man at SummerSlam 88 after Brutus was injured by Ron Bass, and so they needed a replacement opponent. And then uh, oh, April 87, uh, Saturday night's main event, Kamala is going up against Jade the Snake Roberts, and Kimchi attacks him, and then turns out it's Honky Tonk Man under the mask playing the part of Kimchi. Um, just a bunch of bunch of good twists and turns that you didn't see coming at the time, especially being younger. I mean, the, some of those, if I hadn't been, like, if I hadn't been 12 years old or 11 years old, I would have seen uh, Orndorff's turn a mile away, or or you know later on Andre's turn on on Piper's pit would have seen that coming. But you don't see it coming at that age, and and that stuff makes you fall in love with wrestling. So just great storytelling in those. That, that mid to late 80s time frame. Brian, you're really starting off the conversation hot, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, you, you, you took a bunch of really good ones. It's a lot to unpack. Um, let me ask you this, Brian. From a fan's perspective, you mentioned a couple of, of turns. Uh, some were heels becoming faces. Others were faces becoming heels. From a fan's perspective, you personally, what do you prefer – to see what catches you more off guard, I should say. Is it when somebody who you've grown to love shows us their evil streak, or is it when that bad guy that you just love to hate all of a sudden has a moment of compassion and turns and helps the baby's face that you're cheering for? As a fan, what hit you more as a, as a kid watching? Well, the, the thing that really hit me probably first was I had just become a fan in like May of 86. So that, 
that Orndorff turn, that's still my favorite uh, turn and feud to this day. But as a fan, seeing, uh, uh, you know, seeing the turn of Roddy, Roddy's been my favorite forever. So seeing that turn and seeing, and, and Savage too, Savage, you got to watch him as a heel, but he was always so damn cool. So when you see somebody that you, you it was a heel that even though they were a heel, you thought they were so cool. When you see them turn baby face, it, that's just so satisfying. So the, the Roddy turn and the, uh, the savage turn, both of those are, are just such fun stuff. Whereas the, the shock of the, the heel turn by Andre and, and Orndorff, those leave a mark, but I guess the, uh, the turn to, to fan favorite by a heel that you'd always wished would be face, you know, or like Bret Hart at, at uh, WrestleMania four, when bad news gets him with the ghetto blaster at the end of the battle Royal, you're like, Oh good. That, you know, Bret's somebody that I've really liked to watch for a long time. And I'm excited that it looks like he's going to turn face. So those, those heels that you always thought were so damn cool when they turned babyface, to me, those are kind of the, the best thing. Now you get to root for this guy that you, you always wanted to root for before. Wow. I mean, I have to ask you, of all the ones you picked, which one is your favorite? Because I, I think I've got two that are neck and neck, but one just narrowly outedges the other. Uh, I, know, I know what you mean. I mean, if I picked one overall best story that hooked me it's that Orndorff turn but if I had to pick my favorite it's it's always going to be uh Roddy Piper and uh in that fall of uh 86 on through his uh, retirement at Wrestlemania 3 that's the that's the character and the story that uh that I love the best is uh, is Roddy coming to to basically be as pop if you were watching it he was as popular as Hulk at that time and even one most popular the wrestler of the year in pro wrestling illustrated just a, a year after he'd won wrestler of the year. So he's always on my top, you know, Mount Rushmore of entertaining figures that really made people feel strongly either hated or, or popular. He, he made people have these feelings that are stronger than just about anybody in the history of wrestling. Wow. I mean, for me, Orndorff being the number two, I would have to go with the twin referees, number one of all the ones that you had. That one was just uh, pretty epic. And then Hogan throwing the referee over the top rope on a DiBiase, Virgil and company at the end was a great way to uh, end off all the ring action, in my opinion. Definitely. Historically wise, that's the biggest one of all time. And then uh, I, I don't know if, you, if you've seen, uh, I'm sure you've seen Rocky three. But he does the exact same move. Yep. He does the exact same move to Sylvester Stallone. So I, I love when you watch those two back to back. You're like, oh, they they picked that up and they're going to use it now. Good stuff. I even I think uh, I think I believe it was Earl that got tossed, and I think he even like broke his wrist or something on the uh, on the <laughs> toss. So yeah, yeah, that was the uh, the most viewed twist in the history of wrestling, and probably the most well told story that the WWF has ever done. I 100% agree with you, Brian. And the nice thing about that twist is that's one of the twists in a storyline that you can't recycle. It's not like they're going to be able to do it again. It was never done before that, never done since in my knowledge. And so that's what makes it stand above the rest is it was such a shocking twist. No one could have predicted it. It kept people talking for years and years. Brian, thank you so much for kicking off our show, man. You started off on the right foot, and I appreciate that. You guys have a great day and a great show. Nice to talk to you, Matt, and uh, have a great week as well. Talk to you guys later.
Great talking to you as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Well, Matt, you picked a heck of a topic. Conversations off to the right foot. We're just going to keep it flowing. Next up, we're going down south to Atlanta to talk to our friend Joe. Joe, welcome back to the program. We're talking about the twists and the turns of professional wrestling. I'll go with uh, the build-up to WrestleMania three, Hogan and Andre. Um, yeah, that epic scene at Piper's Pit. Um, Jesse the Body coming out there. Uh, uh, I guess on the side of Andre and Hogan, you know, sticking up for himself and Piper's asking Hogan, will you or will you not wrestle Andre at WrestleMania three and Hogan's uh, epic shout of yes. (laughs) So, yeah. And I can even kind of get it from a child's perspective, like remembering like, yeah, you kind of realize that. Okay. So, Hogan's friends with this Andre the Giant guy and <laughs> doesn't want to have to defend his title against him, but uh, it's it's going to happen. And so, yeah, they that was, I mean, still to this day, I will go back and watch that YouTube clip of that Piper's Pit. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to kind of stick with Hulk Hogan because there was always, there was always great buildups to what the WrestleMania match was going to be right in that era too. WrestleMania three, four, five, six. And, um, so then let's go to the mega powers and the storyline is that's epic too. Um, the, the writing is great, you know, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. And that first year a tag team, and you got Elizabeth in the middle, and it, it had to be fun to write at that time for the WWF because that that story almost writes itself because you, of course, you know you're going to end up breaking up the Mega Powers and have it be that would be in WrestleMania five, um, and then yeah, Hogan and Warrior. Even if you watch WrestleMania six now, they they give you like right before the match, Hogan Warrior, they give you a a, a, re, a reminder of what happened, building up to it, because it was always earthquake matches, and one of the guys would be being squashed by earthquake, and Warrior would come in and help out Hogan, and then the mm-hmm. same thing happened, and Hogan came in and helped out Warrior, so yeah, I'll. That's another Hulk Hogan build up to that match. Uh, and, and here's one thing I want to say: <laughs> if I could rewrite the history books of WrestleMania six, I would have had Hogan beat Warrior because it kind of it's like a, in the WWF history book, it's kind of a dent. I don't know how to explain it, but. They they built it up like Warrior was going to be the new Hulk Hogan, and if you look back, that didn't happen. So it's always frustrating that they wrote it that Warrior got that win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think I think that was I, no, Joe. You you bring up excellent no. points, and I think in the Warrior versus Hogan case, I think they were all hoping that the warrior was going to be able to have a run and carry the ball, much like Hulk Hogan. And I think Hogan at the time was looking to take a break because he had been going so hard for so long. Um, obviously, as a Hulkamaniac growing up, I was disappointed that Hogan didn't win. Looking back at it from a business standpoint, I can understand what they were trying to do, but you're right. It, it didn't 
go the way they had hoped. And so it is kind of that, that weird, I wouldn't say it's a black mark on the, on their record, but it is kind of a moment where they're like, well, they, they bet on a guy and it didn't work out. Um, I love that most of your twists or most of your turns revolve around Hogan because everybody knows, you know, later on in life in the mid nineties, he would have one of the biggest turns in the history of pro wrestling when he finally went heel. But when Andre the giant turned on Hogan, I think that's a moment that will live in a lot of wrestling fans mind for just uh, the severity of it. If, If you're a Hulkamaniac, and all of a sudden, the biggest guy in the business, who's Hogan's friend, they're appearing in cartoons together. He's a good guy. Hogan's a good guy. He can't be beat. All of a sudden, he turns on Hogan. It's like the first real challenge that Hogan had to step up to that seemed larger than life and unbeatable. And so I think you're right. I think that's one of the best turns in the history of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Let me leave you with one quick note. Uh, right in that era, too, I'm a big fan of Ted DiBiase, The Million Dollar Man, and I think that's great storyline in their uh, wrestling mm-hmm. entertainment. Um, the, the fact that Ted goes out and buys his own belt, the million dollar belt, I always, I still go back and YouTube that. There's like little scenes and of Million Dollar Man where he buys the swimming pool, he makes all the kids leave so he can have it. So, <laughs> yeah, Million Dollar Man, that was a great character. <laughs> You know, I'm definitely with you on the um, Piper's Pit with Hogan and Andre. And believe it or not, it's it's just a random one. It's not even my favorite Piper's Pit ever. I think my favorite, more than Hogan and Andre, more than Honky Tonk and Jake on uh, uh, State Pit, never mind that. But uh, my favorite Piper's Pit moment was Piper was taking uh, digs at him losing the tag team titles. And all that aside, I think um, – Circling back to the Ultimate Warrior, the thing about it was they uh, they didn't have the campaign like Hulk Hogan had Hulkamania and the Hulkamaniacs. I think it could have worked a little better if they had focused on one warrior nation back then and had the little warriors. It could have been bigger than it actually was, the title run. Yeah. Yep. That's an interesting right. point. I lo- yeah, I like that. All right, Joe, thank you so much for calling in, brother. We appreciate your input as always, and we look forward to hearing from you at future shows. Okay. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right, let's keep the party going Mm -hmm. by heading down to Millville to talk to Marty. Marty, welcome to the program. We're talking about the things we didn't see coming, the twists and the turns. How you doing, Marty? I'm good, Jumpin' Jay. How are you, Matt? Doing doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Good. Greetings from Jersey. Uh, yeah, I got I to gotta quit following Brian. He's sending all the good ones. Um, I don't know. I, I might have to join the Total with Tom's <laughs> heel faction of callers. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't know if he's recruiting, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, no, both, both and, and, and Tom, too, or Joe, uh, good stuff. Um, mine's a little different. I mean, I agree with everything all you guys have been saying. Um, I will go with Strike Force, WrestleMania five. I was a huge Strike Force fan. I thought they, I thought they were, they were like the baby faces of baby faces. And when Martel completely turned on Santana, I, I was heartbroken as a kid. I, I couldn't believe it. So that that one, that one hurt. You know, I, I'd have to go with that as my absolute favorite of all time, and criminally, criminally, the most underlooked 
heel turn of the 1980s, by far the most criminally underlooked. I think that heel turn, I think the tag team itself does not get the love it deserves. Two of the best ever, especially in the ring, Martell and Santana, great workers. And I did that over the who didn't have a great epic pay-per-view bout after Martell's heel turn. Yeah, no, it, it was a shame. Um, and, and they didn't, they didn't go that long. Uh, and, and, you know, my kid's brain, you know, strike force was there as long as everybody else, but they really weren't, um, you know, even, even a WrestleMania three, it was can connection. Santana still wasn't, you know, he's still single. And right. then you have WrestleMania four, they dropped the belts of demolition, uh, which everybody understands that. And then one year later, that's it. They're done. And, um, but then, uh, like you said, the, what a great heel turn. Martell goes on to be an outstanding heel. He's a model. He's smug. He has the arrogance. You know, he blinds Jake the Snake, who everybody loves. Like, yeah, that that was a tremendous heel turn that you're right. You don't hear that much about. But Rick Martel, like, he, he really owned that and, and was awesome. By far my favorite and maybe my favorite heel of the 90s, even though he was only, you know, around for about four yeah no he was great and i know um jay you asked the question earlier about you know which one you like better uh i i always preferred the the face turn because you know just to echo the same comments you know brian you guys are making like to, to be able to finally root for the macho man was such a big deal because you knew he was good but you had to hate him because he was a dastardly heel but man, when he joined your team, it's like we get this guy. Uh, and then on a much underrated <laughs> point of that is uh, Hercules. He was like, I always like feared him. Like he, you know, and of course Jesse always did a great job of building him up on the commentary. Something you know what a, what a mm-hmm. monster he is, and how strong he is, and he had the chain. He had Bobby Heenan, and so it was always like you sort of respected all that, but you hated him. And then when he did a face turn, it was like, yeah, we got Hercules now. Like he, you know, he's on the team. So I, I, I always prefer the, the face turns and the greatest heel turn, I, I have to say it, it was Hulk Hogan. Um, I, I, I stopped watching wrestling for a long time when I got into, like, other sports. And then I heard he was a bad guy. And it made ESPN. It made, like, national news mm-hmm. that Hulk Hogan was a mm-hmm. bad guy. I'm like, hey, let me tune in. And then I didn't stop watching for, like, four years. Like, I was, I was all in on NWO and everything. And Hulk Hogan might have been just as good as a heel as he was a face. He, he was tremendous. You know, Marty, I think as, as I talk to wrestling fans, that's kind of a common story that I hear. Here, they grew up, they're very into wrestling, they're very passionate about it, and then life's different twists and turns, to borrow today's show topic, takes you in different ways. All of a sudden, you're more into maybe baseball or basketball or football, or you're into hanging out with your friends, and you kind of lose touch with the world of professional wrestling. But that Hogan heel turn is what brought a lot of people back to watching it on a weekly basis. It was such a twist, such a turn, that it kind of made you pay attention again. Like, wait a minute, what? Hogan's the ultimate good guy. What do you mean he's bad? I got to see this for myself. And he was so good and so cool at being a bad guy that, yeah, it just drew you in. And the Monday Night Wars, you wonder what that would have been like if Hogan hadn't been the third guy. You know, they talk about if he wasn't the third guy, maybe Sting would have been. But Hogan, in that position, made it must-see TV. And so I think you're right. That might be the greatest heel turn in the history of professional wrestling. 
Yeah, ESPN uh, wouldn't have been talking about Sting turning heel. You know, but they right, did talk exactly. about Hulk Hogan. I remember that. I have to agree with that, that Hogan's by far is the greatest heel turn in history. And I am so freaking glad that you called up with the Rick Martel turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Listen, I, I, Marty, I'm, gonna... I'm a huge supporter of Strike Force, man. Listen, Marty, when I would talk to Matt earlier this week and we t- decided to do twists and turns, Strike Force was one of the things he brought up and said it needs to be talked about. So when, as soon as you mentioned it, Matt, you should have seen me. I had a big smile on my face. I'm like, Matt is going to love talking to Marty about Strike <laughs> oh, Force. Oh, I popped for that one. <laughs> I, I believe you did, my man. And I, and I agree. Rick Martel as a heel was so entertaining. It was so entertaining. But, yes, as a team, Strike Force doesn't get the credit they deserve. They were an incredible team to watch, very entertaining as a team. And the split, like you said, could have maybe had, you know, those two could have feuded for a longer time than they allowed. But, uh, but in the end, here we are, and we get to reminisce. And so, Marty, thank you for bringing them up. Yeah, hey, no problem. Uh, I'm glad you guys gave me the opportunity to call. Uh, it was nice talking with you, uh, Matt and Jumpin' Jay. Uh, you guys take care, and uh, enjoy your weekend, fellas. You too, brother. Thank Sounds you. Sounds good, Marty. Thank you so much. Well, there you go, Matt. It only took three callers into the show to talk about Strike Force and the Rick Martel <laughs> heel turn, which is awesome. Could be a record. We got, it might be. We got it. one more caller who's been hanging on hold, so we're going to take that phone call, and then we'll dive further into the topic. We're going to a longtime friend of the show, Danny from Butler. Danny, welcome back to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Jumping Jay, Matt. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Morning, David. Um, definitely, definitely a, a, a tremendous topic. I, I had no idea what you guys were talking about because I'm so used to seeing what's going up on uh, on Facebook. So whatever, you know, I I catch you by surprise. I'm gonna wing it. Um, you know, talk about. Um, I'm gonna bring up a face turn and a heel turn. I mean, I'm sure it's already been touched, but uh, you know, somebody just talked about when uh, Randy Savage turned face uh going into that Saturday night's main event at uh, uh against the honky tonk when uh you know he got the the honky tonk uh, played a tune on him and you knew that eventually there was that that was going to be set up when uh you know after honky tonk won the IC title from Steamboat you know sh- shortly after you know he started proclaiming to be the greatest IC champ and you know you you saw how Macho took exception to that because he held the title so long and um you know, that was just such a perfectly played angle. You know, obviously, he's on the verge of winning. The Hart Foundation step in, and, uh, you know, Miss Elizabeth goes, you know, gets Hogan, and, you know, the, the rest is history. You know, that uh, that led to some of the greatest writing in, in wrestling history from that lead-up from there. That was well, October of 87 to all the way to WrestleMania five, a year, about a year and a half worth of story writing. So that was a tremendous uh, face turn. Um, as far as heel turn, I have to probably go with when uh, Jake the Snake turned heel for the second time when he uh, he betrayed uh, Ultimate Warrior when he was, uh, you know, you thought he was getting him ready to go up against The Undertaker trying to get him over his fear. He throws him in the room of snakes and, um, <laughs> you know, you get the, the toy uh, Cobra uh, coming out of the box and uh, biting Ultimate Warrior. So, you know, apparently, you know, if uh, history tells me right, he was uh, probably set up for a run with that WWF title if uh, the Warrior didn't, uh, you know, bail out. And, you know, he kind of got screwed. But that had to be, a, I think, a tremendous uh, heel turn because uh, Jake was uh, definitely so over at the time as a, as a baby face. 
those were some really great uh, face and face turns and heel turns. Um, I Jake was incredibly over as a baby face, but I think his natural uh, inclination, if you will, was always to be a heel. For the snake. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, and like I said, Randy, you know, you know, you go figure when that time when he turned the first uh, Survivor Series, you know, look at the, uh, the guys on his team. They were all guys that he already feuded with. You know, he already, you know, the year before he, you know, he dropped the bell on Steamboat's throw. He had a few with Rat, with uh, Jake the Snake. And, you know, now all these guys are on the same team, which is a tremendous team, by the way. That was a, 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 a tremendous buildup of uh, talent at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, like I said, you know, you guys, you know, talk about the, the Andre turn. You know, you talk about, oh, you know, as a kid, you'd be like, how in the world is – Hogan going to beat this guy. I remember at, at, at six years old, I'm like, there's no way he's going to beat this guy. And, you know, led up to a tremendous drama at uh, WrestleMania 3, without a doubt the biggest main event in, in wrestling history. Uh, but I'm going to let you guys go. I'm going to let, you know, the other guys, the rest of the callers get in. Uh, Jumping Jay, always a pleasure. Matt, uh, pleasure to speak to you the first time. Uh, keep up the, uh, the good work. And uh, you guys have a tremendous weekend. Hey, you hey, too, th- Danny. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danny. All right, take care. You as well. Listen, that that Jake the Snake turn that he referenced with the Ultimate Warrior, I remember as a child watching that, and that seemed to me to be a very dark Jake the Snake. Like, I remember it felt different. It felt like a more evil Jake the Snake. And to your credit, Matt, I I agree. I think his character kind of lends himself to that evil side. Um, and so, yeah, that's a very memorable one for me as well. He never raised his voice in the promos, always yelling. And, you know, it's, I think it's the natural human inclination not to trust a snake. So when a snake is presented in front of you, I mean, personally, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I am afraid of snakes. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I automatically associate Jake as a bad guy, but I did love him as a good guy as well. Yeah, he was definitely, whether he was face or heel, he was one of those guys that, you would always see an action figure of his face would always be on whatever products the WWF was selling because he was over, but you're mm-hmm. right. That snake just couldn't be trusted. We have one more caller on the line right now. So we're going to take that call and it's time. It's time. It's time for Toto with Tom. Tom, welcome back to the program, sir. It's time for Toto with Tom. That was awesome. Jumping Jay. Awesome. It only this, took you four months, but that's fantastic. See, you can train old dogs. It just takes a long time. Great to have Toto. royalty on the show today. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm doing well, Toto. Tom, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. I mean, you, you're classing up uh, 80s wrestling podcast. Thank you very much for <laughs> appearing today. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I should thank uh, Tommy and Jumpin' Jay as well. Who? <laughs> Listen, talk about twists and turns. That we got to go back in the archives. I think it was about eight episodes ago where Total with Tom turned mad. He he wasn't. He was a face. He was a good time caller, and he took that heel turn. And it is so entertaining. I love every time his phone number pops up. Tell us, Tom, Total. what is one of your most memorable twists and turns from watching wrestling? Oh, I have a great one, but um. Yeah, Brian the Brain got up at 6 a.m. today and stole it from me, so I can't say it. Um, there has to be a new rule for Brian the Brain, like the rule of three. 
you know, he only can give like his top three moments because it leaves the rest of us with nothing to talk about. Well, feel can you free. Do that for me? Can you do that for me? We will have, we'll have a conversation with him next time he calls, but feel free to bring up whatever he brought up because he brought up so much. We didn't really get to dive into much of it. And so if there's something you want to talk more about, we're open for it. I have something new, actually. I like the, and it's probably more 90s, but who cares? The Shawn Michaels uh, barbershop turn on Marty Jannetty. By far, and still probably the most talked about one, I think, solely for the execution that it did involve Jannetty going through a barbershop window with non-gimmick glass either. So that one's certainly, certainly memorable. Probably the most memorable in the 90s. Does it surprise you that Toto with Tom came up with that? No. Not at all. The most recent, I will say, I it turns in ISPW, Danny Doring turning on Bull James and becoming superstar Danny Morrison. That one had me legitimately shocked when I was calling the play by play action. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I kinda wanted to touch base with uh PW because you are the voice of it right now. Um isn't this podcast not just about heel turns, but also um, craziest, like, events, or, right? Isn't that the topic today? Absolutely. Well, it's, yep. it's twists and turns. Okay. I mean, when I brought it up to Jumpin' Jay, I even said, look at how Magnum TA was on the track to be the world champion. Talk about a twist and turn. Unfortunately, that car accident yeah. derailed that program. Yeah, that was unfortunate. But what I'm trying to say is that at the last ISPW show – during the main event between Danny Morrison and Justin Carino, I'd like to hear from your side, Matt, um, as far as a social media device being involved in a wrestling angle. Anything and everything can, will, and does happen in ISPW. I still want to know, and I say it every single time, how many people does Danny Morrison have on his payroll? <laughs> That, that's so a $60,000 question. He did ask for my home address last week. so. Oh, really? I wasn't sure why at first. I thought maybe it was just because, you know, I've seen him a couple times at Tommy's store at the Wrestling Collector, and he wanted to exchange Christmas cards or something with me. But, you know, I don't know. Well, hey, it's, ISP, it's ISPW related. It could be anything, but either way, it's always going to be big, always going to be exciting. You never know what's going to happen next. That's the beauty of ISPW. What's your role at the convention, Matt? Uh, I'm not having confirmed that just yet. I will certainly be there from nine to three, and then myself and the wrestling uh, god, and I should say, pod. Not, he's not just a podcast god; he's a color commentator uh, god. The living legend Tiger Mulligan. We're going to be calling the action at ISPW's Rock and Wrestling that night. That's the WrestleMania for Tommy Fierro. I'm very That's excited right. for that. As are we. Say total with Tom. Yes, sir. Jumping Jim. Um, Jay. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, sir. Listen, I I don't know if what I'm about to to propose uh, is going to be good for for the listeners or not, but Brian the Brain has called back in. He's waiting on hold. He must have heard what you had to say. Do you want me to bring him on the air as well, and we can talk about we can talk about some twists and turns all together. Oh, yeah, sure. Most definitely. The more the merrier. Everyone should call in. 
How many can you take All at right. once? Brian the Brain, you're back, and you're live with not only Jumpin' Jay, Matt the Voice, but Toto Thomas here as well, brother. Welcome back. Excellent. Just wanted to give a personal apology to Toto Tom for stealing thunder every week <laughs> and say that uh, I, I don't want to leave stories on the table. And this week there's more that are on the table that I that haven't been brought up yet, like uh, Roddy Piper smashing uh, Snooka in the head with the coconut. There's one of the greatest twists nobody saw coming of all time. And then, uh, you know, the Islanders being the shocking surprise team that Heenan brought in, whereas I thought it would be somebody from the NWA coming in when they announced it a week earlier that he was going to bring in a new team, and all of a sudden it's the, the Islanders. Uh, another baby face that I – I love to see change was uh, Don Morocco is, uh, you know, he and Orton have a dispute and somehow Morocco is the fan favorite on there. So apologies for stealing thunder, but there's so many things out there that I, I just get excited about and want to hear. And a lot of times they're left out. And, and so uh, apologies, Toto with Tom. So, let me ask you, when you go to bed the night before wrestling's eighties podcast, do you actually set your alarm specifically for 6 a.m.? Uh, our time, or well, no, your time, right? I, six a.m. your time. In I California? do it for. I do it for six forty-five, and you know, because the show comes on at seven out here. So, yeah, I set it for six forty-five. Look and see what they're talking about, and I'm like, okay, what are we going to talk about today? And then sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a lot of talk about, and sometimes sleep? there's just a little. And then you go back to sleep. Uh, usually not. It's tough to. Well, get all fired up and then have it be uh, eight o'clock and not start your day. So, so yeah, usually it's just an early day on Thursdays. And then you hear your name being thrown around like grass seed. So you felt the need to call back in. Well, I, I didn't want the Islanders left off the show and then feel like uh, three would be pretty limiting when so much is left out. So the Islanders and Piper Snuka, there's there's always stuff that I feel like, damn, I didn't bring that up or nobody brought that up or or somebody thinks that uh, I didn't mention Eye of the Tiger and Survivor last week, and, and then they bring it up and think it's original. <laughs> it was original. Uh, that's just, it's original because that's just it's what Tom said it. <laughs> no, if you listen back, you'll hear I mentioned it first. So All right. <laughs> you know, Brian, you, you mentioned uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just messing with you. You mentioned What's 87 that things in a row, and nobody can comment on them. I, I have to say, there gentlemen, I think Tommy Fierro may have to uh, sign another match for the uh, Rock and Wrestling, uh, ISPW's Rock and Wrestling at 80s Wrestling Con. This ends up continuing over the weeks. We could have Brian the Brain in one corner and Toto with Tom in the other. Here's the thing, Matt. I, I put both of them on mute because they're obviously in a, in a deep, heated discussion. And what, <laughs> what I love is wrestling fans are passionate, man. But Absolutely. they're doing it in a very they're doing it in a very respectful way. You know, yes. Brian calls mm-hmm. up, extends his apology, gives us a couple more great twists and turns. Totowa Tom comes back with a jab or two. It's entertaining for sure, Matt. It's absolutely and it's it's civil too. And it's civil civil too. civilly so, entertaining. <laughs> here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna unmute Brian the Brain. We're gonna thank him for taking a high road with an apology, and then we'll go back to Total with Tom and listen to more of his favorite twists and turns. Brian the Brain, thank you, my man, for calling back in and having a civil conversation with Total with Tom. 
Oh, I, I was just jiving, jiving with him at the end there, and I respect all his opinions and just uh, I appreciate his input as well. So uh, it, it is a sincere apology. I, I get a little overzealous and share too much. I just, uh, I, like I say, there's a lot of topics out there, and I, I like to hear what people think about them and, and, uh, and see what their favorite stuff is too. So all the best to Totoa Tom, Danny from Butler, uh, everybody on the show, Matt, Jumpin' Jay, and I hope Tommy's having a blast in Disney World. So, anyway, sure uh, best wishes to all the listeners. Thank, Thank you so much, Brian. We'll it's been terrific. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Oh, it's, is it, this working? it must be our lucky Hello? day because oh. we, we get two Hello? times with Toto with Tom. Working? Tom, you're back on. Hello? You're back on, brother. Hello? Hello? What? Hello? Whoa, wait. Okay. I'm on? Yes, you're on. You guys couldn't hear me. We we had to to put on the ref shirts. We had to put you back to your neutral corners and restart the match. So it's it's just you now, Total with Tom. Anything else you want to discuss when it comes to twists and turns in pro wrestling? If I can get more current, I'd like to get one from each of you in the recent years. How recent are we talking? We're talking like modern current day product? 10 to 15 years. 10 to 15 years. All right. I Matt, if you've got one up. All right, you All right, go I first. Gotta... All right. Aside I have one from... I want to share oh. first before Matt mm-hmm. feels it. The Total okay. Account doesn't like to be, you know, upstaged. There was a turn <laughs> a few years ago on Monday Night Raw where, <laughs> and I laugh about it because it was one of the greatest turns I've ever seen. Um, Mark Henry came out and was announcing his retirement to professional wrestling. <laughs> you yeah, guys remember that turn. one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The salmon-colored yeah. blazer. Fantastic. That's my favorite. I would have to go with uh, the two that truly shocked me. They were great, and they shocked me were um, Danny Doring turning on Bull James, becoming Danny Morrison in ISPW, and Seth Rollins turning on The Shield in 2014. Iconic. The, the Shield turn is interesting because they were such a cool trio and you knew they weren't going to last together forever. And everybody kind of knew Roman Reigns was the one that was picked to kind of go on to bigger and better things. But the fact that Seth Rollins did the turn and then you guys might have to correct me if I'm wrong, but was he not the first member of the Shield to go on and win the championship title? That's right. That's correct. And so that is something that I don't think a lot of people, a lot of fans of the Shield saw coming, was that Seth remember, Rollins was going to be the first breakout kind of star from that group. I couldn't believe it. I thought that night when he said, uh, you know, there's plan B, I think the uh, Batista was gone, so it was down to uh, – What's his name? Uh, Randy Orton and Triple H. Triple H is out there with a sledgehammer. I thought maybe Cody Rhodes was going to come in and join Orton and Triple H, but no, they had Rollins do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, And then, as long as we're talking about the Shield, was Roman Reigns actually the third of the three to win the heavyweight strap? I can't remember. Or did he? No, I I don't think so. It was Seth, and then Roman got it. And Ambrose. Ambrose may have been the third. Ambrose was the third. 
All right. You know, there's there's a little bit update on the shield for me. I'll give you guys an update next week on the ratings for this particular podcast. Since Tommy's not on it, I'm probably going to uh, speak to Melzer in a few. So uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how high the ratings are this week. Well, you know they say controversy creates cash, and so I'm guessing the the ratings for that last segment probably spiked significantly. Yeah, at the bottom of the yeah bottom of the hour. Primetime Tom from Total. Guess what? Guess what? What? Time's up. Total with Tom. And then he hangs up, Matt. That's that's what he does. He says time's up, and he just hangs up. He's got a Tom. He's got yeah. He's got a real heel manager type quality to him, and I'm telling you, every week it gets more and more entertaining to see what what the callers have in store for us. As you're probably picking up during the course of the show, we have amazing, uh, passionate listeners that tend to call in every week, and we love it. Positively. Well, I tell you what, Matt, you have done an outstanding job filling in thank you. for Tommy Fierro, so thank you so much. We have about 10 minutes left of the program. If there's a twist or turn that hasn't been mentioned that you want to bring up, feel free to do it now. Otherwise... ISPW has got a very busy schedule at the end of April and at the start of May. And so I'd love to pick your brain about that for a few minutes. But first, I'll give you the floor. If there's a twist, a turn that you didn't hear on today's show that you'd like to bring up, go for it. Uh, What about Demolition? Demolition and the Powers of Pain, the double turn, Survivor Series 88. And it it was so well done. And it Mm -hmm. was... Demolition is one of those teams that, and they're celebrating a huge anniversary this year. If anybody doesn't know, they're celebrating 35 years of pain and destruction. So it's kind of a huge world tour going on for Demolition. They've got a fan club that Tommy's a part of. They're going to be showing up at 80s Wrestling Con Live. There's a big Demolition Cup taking place at ISPW Rock and Wrestling. But they were, I've been on record as saying, they are my all-time favorite WWF creation as a team like i know a lot of Same. people they say they were a knockoff of the road warriors and i love the road warriors but demolitions package at that time on wf television was so cool and it was hard not to cheer for them and so their turn was definitely a good thing in the eyes of the fan i am a demo i am a huge demolition fan probably my favorite tag team of all time at least in the wwf and i'm even i'm even overall my favorite over the road warriors by far demolition what do you think it was about them why them as opposed to because you could argue that uh the the powers of pain had a very similar look very similar style road warriors similar look similar style for you matt what was it about demolition I think looking back, you know, as an older fan now, they had the machine behind them. They had the theme song, and it was an original. It wasn't uh, something that was put out by, a, you know, a popular music artist um, or commercial, you know, like Black Sabbath, Iron Man. I mean, it was Demolition by Rick Derringer, written for them. And I think they had the best promos, too. They didn't have to go overboard with the promos. They were great. They were perfect for the Now, have you had an opportunity to work with them yet? Because I know you filled in on some of the Monday Night Virtual. You've been at ISPW shows. Have you had a chance to work with Axe and Smash, or will May 7th be your first time? 
No, actually, I, 80s Wrestling Con 2 in October 2019, I worked with Accent Smash for the first time. You couldn't get anybody more gentleman and professional than those two. Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's Yeah, they're one of my all-time favorite teams. I have not had the privilege of meeting them in person. We've had them on this podcast, so I've at least got to speak to them, but that is one of the reasons I'm looking so forward to May 7th, to be able to see Axe and Smash live and in person. And then you guys are doing a huge demolition cup at the ISPW Rock and Wrestling Show. As a fan of demolition, Matt, that's got to be a thrill for you to be calling those matches leading up to that presentation. Oh, absolutely. I am very, very much looking forward to that. The Demolition Cup is special. You got the Alpha, L.A. Smooth, the Sons of Samoa, Gerb Sierra and Harv Sierra, the Bollywood Boys, H.C. Loke and Tony DeVito, the Carnage Crew. It's a fatal four-way. It's the Demolition Cup. So that's going to be one of the many, many matches we're going to be looking forward to at ISPW's Rock and Wrestling following 80s Wrestling Con 3 on May 7th at the Men in Sports Arena in Morristown, New Jersey. Um, I think also, I mean, talk about twists and turns. What about when uh, Terry Taylor fired Bobby Heenan and he ended up uh, becoming a baby face, you know, red, he was the red rooster. He fired Heenan that resulted in the memorable uh, attack by the Brooklyn roller on uh, mm-hmm. the rooster monsoon getting the physicality and then the subsequent apology by Heenan to monsoon, but telling uh Taylor, that it was all meant for him. It was meant for him to be uh, attacked by the brawler. But he did say if Monsuda just sat down and kept his mouth shut, he wouldn't have gotten hurt. And I have to say another one, if you look back on it, on their history, the Sheep Herders going to the WWE and becoming the fan favorites. Look at that twist. You could not have probably a more 180-degree turn from the type of team that the Sheep Herders were, the type of matches that they were having, complete 180. They come to the WF, they're rebranded, the Bushwhackers, and for lack of a better term, they're more of kind of that comedy relief in the middle of shows where they're no longer bloodying and beating their opponents, but they're kind of super over-the-top entertaining Probably a lot easier on their bodies. A lot less bumps, a lot less bruises. But, yeah, when you take, like, if you would take those two teams and put them side by side, you would never guess they're the same individuals because of the packaging. Completely Not different. at all. Not at all. And Completely I was like, different. I was a Bushwhackers fan, but they're one team I could recall never really seeing them lose on TV. Only a choice few times. That's it. That's a very good point. I'm racking my brain now. You know, I think the biggest, and you can't even really count it a loss, but Bushwhacker Luke held the record for like the shortest Royal Rumble entrance for That's a while right, when yes. he came in, got <laughs> thrown out. But other than that, you're right. They were that babyface team that either if they didn't win, there were some kind of shenanigans in the match and it was kind of a no decision type thing. Obviously, they had a very memorable presence at WrestleMania 6 taking on um, rhythm and blues as they came down and dressed like souvenir salesmen. Yeah, they were a highly entertaining team. But they quite the always twist sent the crowd home happy. They did, and you got to have that on the show. You got to have that, and they definitely were that. One of the other turns that we saw in the early '90s that no one brought up yet is when Sergeant Slaughter kind of turned his back on America as a whole, <laughs> so that he could be, you know, the challenger. 
for the world title. That was a turn I did not see coming uh, as a child as well. That didn't get brought up yet. I love Sarge. I'm a big Sarge fan. Um, might not have been his finest uh, run at the time, but man, did it work. Right. It worked. They needed someone to play that role and to take the ultimate American hero and turn him against the flag was definitely a twist and a turn that left its impression. And yeah, for the time, it worked. Absolutely. Um, ah, I'm trying to think of another really good one from the, oh, you know, we brought it up earlier this week, the Horseman. How many heels and faces, you know, and even the Horseman in 89, I believe it was, or early 90, going babyface with the, in, the uh, incarnation of Flair, Ole, Arn, and Sting. Right. Yes. The We should do a whole show sometime, and I'll make sure I recommend to Tommy that we bring you on as a as a guest host for that one as well. The Four Horsemen in general, the the faction, what they meant to wrestling at that time, the careers they helped launch. But yeah, when you're so used to seeing Sting battle the Four Horsemen, and then all of a sudden the twist comes where he gets to be a member, and they've turned. Those are the things that, as a wrestling fan, you kind of look at and go, never in a million years would I have, would I have bet money that this is going to happen. He really made his return was John Studd as a babyface. John Studd is one of these individuals. We talked about him, I think it was our episodes on Big Men. He was a guy who probably doesn't get the recognition he gets for the contribution he had in the early 80s, mid-80s in the World Wrestling Federation. A lot of people point to maybe him and Andre the Giant not seeing eye to eye because Andre wanted to be the only big man. But you're right. Uh, Big John Studd, he was another one of those guys that he's on an LJN. He's got the thumb wrestler. He's on the board game from that time period. And so, yeah, ultimate heel. But when he finally turns, uh, was it Marty from Millville who said he likes those kind of turns because finally you get the big, strong guy that you've been scared of. All of a sudden he's on your team and the world looks just a little bit brighter. Yeah, and I mean, that happened in early 90 with uh, Boss Man. Boss Man, what do you prefer him as, a heel or as a baby face? Because he had a tremendous run as both, and he worked both styles very well, and I think it's just, as a fan, you get to kind of pick and choose. Boss Man teaming with Akeem for the Twin Towers and taking on the Mega Powers, awesome heel. When he turns baby face, and he's laying down law and order for the good guys. Tremendous face. So, in your opinion, what do you prefer Boss Man as? I, I was a Boss Man fan. I wish he was still alive and still doing it. I think he could if we're right. alive. But um, he was awesome as both. He was awesome as both. You were always drawn to watch his matches. He was great, great at what he did in both uh, character forms, babyface and heel. You know, it's hard to pick which one he was better at. Yeah, I don't know if you can decide which one he was better at. I think you're right about that. If I had to pick and choose, I think I like him as a good guy. Man, because I just remember playing with his uh, his Hasbro figure, you know, for hours on end with the rest of my toys as a youngster. And I think Bossman is a good guy. just feels right in my yeah. soul. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's how fast time flies when you're doing an episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Matt, it's one before the hour, so it's time to head for home. But before we do... Let's talk just a little bit about your upcoming schedule. Everybody's aware that May 7th, 
Men in Sports Arena, ISPW, Rock and Wrestling, the show following the con. It's going to be a tremendous day, but that's just one date on the calendar. ISPW coming up on Saturday, April 30th. at Sussex. It has Sussex County Slam at the Sussex County Fairgrounds. That's a big show. And then you're going back to back. Oh, excuse me. First April 29th, you have the Great Metals right. Mayhem. And then the Great Sussex County Slam. So you are going, you're going back to back. Friday, Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. Tell me just Friday a little the, bit about what we can expect from ISPW those nights. Well, Friday the 29th, April 29th, um, we're going to be in Great Meadows Middle School in Great Meadows, New Jersey. It's Great Meadows Mayhem. Uh, it's a fundraiser to benefit the Great Meadows Regional School District, uh, PTO. Sean Donovan's going to be defending against Bull James. Uh, Crowbar and Justin Carino going to be in action. The now is going to take on Richard Holiday. GKM, Leo Sparrow, and Bushwhacker Luke in action. Tito Santana will be appearing. Uh, Gabby Ortiz is going to be defending the ISPW Women's Championship against Adina Steele. Trax gets a title shot against the ISPW World Champion Danny Morrison. That's on April 29th. April 30th, we've got a, uh, another jam-packed card, including uh, Sean Donovan. Nunzio is also going to be appearing on April 30th. Uh, Danny Morrison, if he's still the champion, will be in action defending that belt. It all depends who wins, Danny Morrison versus Trax on April 29th, but the championship will be defended on April 30th. And uh, it's going to prove to be a great weekend and a great way to lead into 80s Wrestling Con on May 7th. Fantastic. So much action. Like you said, you never know what's going to take place at an ISPW show, but something always entertaining, something always meaningful. And if you're a fan of pro wrestling, the ISPW shows are definitely where it's at. You can tune into them. They put some of their shows up on the YouTube page every Sunday night. They do Sunday night slam, kind of a cool recap show. Matt, do you have any social medias that you want to plug or are you kind of a private guy if, if you have anything that people can follow you and kind of keep up to date on what you're doing feel free to share it with us otherwise i do want to be a private guy all right lay it on us e-e-t-e-l-l-o on twitter not twitter the instagram it's at the comp says T-H-E-C-O-M-P-S-A-Y-S. And real quick, some of the uh, card for the April 30th Sussex County Slam. Richard Holiday, who's going to be in tag action on the 29th, is going to take on Justin Carino. Bull James and Sean Donovan going to be in action again on April 30th for the uh, it's ISPW Tri-State Championship. It'll turn out to be probably a rematch. Uh, Nunzio against Rick Recon, the Winners Club versus the now versus GKM and Leo Sparrow in a three-way tag match. HC Loke is going to take on the real deal Craig Steele. Uh, Offer Jr. is going to be appearing there on April 30th at the Sussex County Fairgrounds against Trax, and that could be a championship match depending on if Trax is victorious against Danny Morrison. Big one, Sal Sincere with Andy Weinberg in his corner going to take on Bushwhacker Luke. ISPW Commissioner Tito Santana will be making an appearance as well. Certainly need that law and order in SPW. And finally, Crowbar, SPW mainstay and former SPW champion, is going to take on Danny Morrison. Now, if Danny Morrison is victorious against Trax on the 29th, that'll be the championship match. 
And certainly wherever Danny Morrison goes, the Morrison entourage will be there. So it's going to be a very exciting week for ISPW Pro Wrestling in New Jersey. We're taking it over April 29th and 30th. Make sure you're there. File ISPW on Facebook and on Instagram, ISPW Wrestling. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. And I can't wait to see you in person on May 7th. Thank you so much once again for filling in for Tommy Fierro. What a fun show. I'm Jumping Jay. He's Matt Compatello, the voice of ISPW. Follow him at Instagram at at the comp says. And until next week, we'll see you right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. <laughs>